Thanks, Austin. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Lake Coma. If you are visiting with us today, we are excited to have you here on this day. It's Mother's Day. It's also Bowtie Sunday in honor of our mothers. And so, mothers, thank you so much for your dedication, for your hard work, for your selflessness, and your sacrifice in helping raise everyone in here. So, thank you so much for doing that. We really appreciate that. Let's give all our mothers and mothers to be a big hand. Yay. Now, I have quit doing Mother's Day sermons. And the reason is, is because mothers come to me after that, and I'm usually giving this, this whole idea of this is the ideal, this is what our mothers are like, and they go, I'm not like that, and I feel very guilty about that. And so, or you do a sermon that says, here's some things that you can do, and they go, I can't even do those. And so, I don't do Mother's Day sermons on Mother's Day anymore because I don't want you ladies to feel guilty. Is that Okay. So, we're going to continue with our series today on Beyond. And today we're talking about Beyond Lost. And I can just, you probably know exactly where we're going to be headed. We're looking at Luke chapter 15. The story, the stories of the three lost stories the story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, and the story of the lost son. We're going to spend most of our time on the lost son and really just kind of hit, highlight the lost sheep and the lost coin, but that's where we're going to be today, and I hope that uh, you will journey with us on that. Now, I want to set this up, okay, because we need to set this whole thing up, and if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you just to open up, because I hope to unveil some things that we have probably never seen or never even heard of, and so I hope that this will be something that's new to you, and you go, oh, this is different. I haven't seen that in this, this story before. And if you look in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, that's where we're going to start today. And here's what I want you to do. As you are looking at this scripture on the screen, I need you to do something for me. I need you to select an individual outside of the story listening to it that you kind of relate to, that you would relate to best in this group of people that are listening to Jesus, all right? I need you to go, okay, I want to see myself in the story as that individual. And then, as we get to telling the stories and looking at those, I want you to put yourself also in one of those stories as that character. So you have to decide which character you're going to be on the outside looking in as Jesus is telling this, and also the character as someone who is actually in the story, And so that's what I want you to do today as we get started. So in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, we read these words. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So which one are you? Which one would you say you are? Are you the tax collectors and the sinners? Is that where you gravitate more, and that's the character that you're going to put on today? Or are you kind of more highlight with the Pharisees and the teachers? Is that where you would be today? Just which one would you be today? And where do I fit in this scenario? That's what I'm asking. Where do you fit in this scenario? 
Now remember, the, the Pharisees are mumbling. They are grumbling. It just depends on what you actually, which version. And they muttered underneath their breath. Because to have a rabbi that would go and actually eat with tax collectors and sinners was unheard of in this day and age. No rabbi would have done that. No rabbi would have gone in and actually eaten with the tax collectors and the sinners. And the reason is, is because when you ate a meal with somebody, whoever that was in this culture, you were saying, I am in right relationship with these people. That's what you're saying. I am in right relationship with these individuals. And so Jesus is saying, I have a right relationship with these tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees and the teachers are muttering under their breath. And I wonder how many of us do that in our own society? How many of us categorize, codify, and actually look at individuals and shun them and mutter under our breath about those who we see as outcasts or maybe the tax collectors and the sinners. All right, so verse 3 is very important. Most of us would call this three parables. What does this verse say in chapter 15? Jesus told them what? This parable. This is one parable with three stories. One parable with three stories. It's a story about the lost sheep. And who's the main character in that one? It's the shepherd, right? And we hear the story about the lost coin. And who's the main character in that one? Is it not the woman who lost the coin? And then you see the main character in the lost son, and that's the father. It's the father in that one. And after Jesus had, had gotten through telling this story, what's so, what's so interesting about this is, is that those Pharisees, those teachers would have recognized that Jesus, that Jesus was calling them back and helping them understand that the three people, the shepherd, the woman, and the father were all in Psalms, and all of them relate to God. The Lord is my what? Shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. You are my father, my God, my rock in the Psalms, and the nursing mother that's in the Psalms. And we see that each of them, each of them, what do they do once they find what they're looking for? What do they do? They throw a party. They throw a party. Now, the person who's throwing this party is whom? It's God, right? It's God. God's the one throwing the party for that which is lost. Okay, so let's just think about this just a minute. So, the person who has the lost sheep goes after the lost sheep, finds the sheep, and actually brings it back, and then he, he throws a party with everybody else. What are they eating? No, really. I mean, I hope it's not the lamb he brought back. But I can tell you, it probably was a lamb. All right, so the woman who lost her coin, goes and she searches diligently for that coin. And she gets it back, and what does she do? Does it cost to throw a party for people? 
She's actually spending money. And then we'll get to the lost son in just a minute. But in those two instances, in those two instances, the celebration occurred because you found it, because it was lost and it was found. And what's that saying about God to us? It's saying that God loves to find lost things and lost people. He loves that. that what, that's what He is all about, finding lost things and lost people. Don't you think we need to do the same? Isn't that what we're about? Isn't that what we're supposed to be striving for? Is being excited about finding lost people and bringing them back. That's what God loves to do. He loves to bring them back, and He throws a party. Now, we're going to look we're going to look really at the lost son, and I want you to just kind of delve into this with me. We're going to start with verse 11 if you have your Bibles open or your electronic devices. Here we go. It's on the screen. It says this. Jesus continued his stories. Third story. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate, the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, this was a huge insult to the father. Huge insult to the father. It was as saying, it was saying, you, it's better, it would be better off that you were dead, father. That's what he's saying. And the other thing that he, when he does this, he is dishonoring his father. And what kind of punishment? is required of a son who dishonors his father. Stoning. Stoning. That's in Leviticus 19.3 and Deuteronomy 27, verse 16. A father has a defiant son, and he acquiesces to his request, and he actually starts to sell the goods that he has so he can actually give the money to his son. Now, what kind of father is this? What kind of father would do such a thing as this? Now, who's buying all of the goods? Who's buying all the goods? I mean, he's got, to, he's got to take livestock. He's got to take everything that he has. He's got to actually take them somewhere to the community around him, which probably wasn't that big. So, all the community is hearing about this young son they're hearing about this young son that is actually dishonoring his father. And they're buying all this stuff from him because he's got to give him cash. He's got to give him that boatload of money that he's going to get, and he's going to take it and do what he wants to with it. And his father, what kind of father is this? Of course the word gets out. Of course the word gets out. The word gets out to everybody in that town. Oh, my goodness. Now, there's a thing in the culture of that day, an activity that was very rarely used, but used, it is, it did. Not just the Jewish culture, but cultures around there, and it was called the kazaza, the kazaza shaming. Say kazaza. Very good. The kazaza shaming. And here's what they did. Here's what they did. A community 
a community would fill pots with burnt corn. Why burnt corn? No one knows. But they would fill pots with burnt corn. corn. And as the sun was leaving town, they would break those jars and they would splatter all over the place. And then they would say to him, you are cut off. You are cut off. And if he ever came back to the town, they would never even recognize him. They wouldn't say a word to him. They'd look right past him. If he asked something, they would ignore him. It was a shaming example. And it was an example to the whole community that if you do this, this is what's going to happen to you. This is what's going to happen to you if you dishonor your father like this. And so this is this shaming that occurred. And so he wanders away. And he squanders all of his wealth. Look at verses 13 through 16. It says this. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant land, a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. All right. Do you think I know, we know where this is? Okay. In Israel, when we were over there just recently, Deborah and I, we get up for breakfast that first morning, and we get up for breakfast, and we're looking, we got eggs and stuff, and I'm looking for the sausage. (laughs) I'm looking for the bacon, right? It's not there. There there is no pork anywhere, none in Israel. But do you remember a story about Jesus meeting a demoniac on the other side of the Sea of Galilee? We'll get to that in a couple of weeks. And that demoniac, he tosses the spirit into what? The pigs. The pigs. We know exactly where this is. The father knew where he went. This distant country is the Decapolis. This distant country is Gennesaret. It's, it's, it's right over there. And if you're standing in where I stood on that mountain in Mount Arbel, Arbel whichever one you want to call it, and you look out all the ministry at the, at the north West, uh, the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, you see all of Jesus' ministry that he did. 70% of it was right there. And right there just on the east side. Only a mile. Only just a mile over there. You can see that land. But anybody that ever even talked about that land would have been unclean for seven days. The Father knows where he is. This is where the riotous living is going on. This is where everything is happening. No Jew would have been caught dead over there. No Jew would have been caught dead over there. But this son has decided that I'm going to give up all my heritage and everything, and I'm going to go over to the place of the pigs. And that's where he ends up when he finally comes to a census. 
So what do we do? What do we do when we get desperate, when our lives are at, the, at our rope's end, and we're, we're like at a point to where we don't know where to turn, we don't know where to go? What happens to us? What do we usually do? We do what the young son did, don't we? Because we know safety and security is found at home. Safety and security is found at home. And if I can just go back home, if I can just go back there, maybe, maybe my father would accept me. But here's a question I have for you, big question that I want for, to think about. Did, the, did he really repent or was it remorse? Was it re- true repentance or was it remorse? And I'll tell you why I think it's the latter and not the repentance. Listen to this verse. Here we go. When he came to his census, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hand. Who is Jesus talking to? Who's his audience that he's telling these stories to? He's telling them to whom? The tax collectors and the sinners, and whom? The Pharisees and the teachers. The Pharisees and the teachers would have automatically picked up on that phrase that you see highlighted, I have sinned against heaven and against you. They would have automatically known. Why? Because the Pharisees and the teachers knew their text. They memorized their Bible. They knew exactly where that phrase would have come from. They knew exactly where that would have occurred. Those words would have occurred. Anybody know? Exodus chapter 10, verse 16. Right after the eighth plague, when Pharaoh says, Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Was Pharaoh truly repentant? It's only on the eighth plague. No. We got two more to go, right? Before he releases it. Do you believe that there was remorse at that time for Pharaoh? Yeah, I do. But I don't think he truly repented. And I believe that that Jesus is pulling us back to Pharaoh to get us to think and understand that this is exactly what the young brother is doing. He finds this remorse. He finds that remorse within him. But he doesn't repent. And so, yes, what is Jesus saying about the younger brother? And here it is. Could it be that his repentance is in word only and not in heart? Could it be? Could it be? Here's the other thing. Regret, regret, remorse, regret is defensive and resist asking for forgiveness. Whereas repentance takes full responsibility, full responsibility, and ask for forgiveness. Notice the prodigal son doesn't talk about how he is going to repent, the ways that he is so wrong, and the the sorrow that he sees in his life, and how he is going to make steps toward repentance. This is a logistical move for him, if you ask me. It's a logistical move. I know my dad has what? 
food. I know my dad has a home. I know my dad can supply my needs. I know I want to go back there. It's a logistical move. And I wonder if Jesus is directing us to think about our hearts as well. But it's interesting, isn't it? What's the Father doing during all this time? What's He doing? He's what? He's watching. The Father is watching. He knows where He is, and He's watching every day for His return to come back, to come back. Look at Luke chapter 15, verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Why did the father run? Listen, I'm telling you, Jewish, Jewish community, the patriarch does not run. The Bedouin community, even now, that's over there, that lives still in many ways like they did in those old days, they do not run. It is shameful to run. And why did the father run to the son? Because if the son made it into the town, what were the town people going to do to him? They were going to shun him. They were going to ignore him. And even though it was shameful to run, the father runs to save his son and son's life. To bring him back in so that, the, that everybody would know, this is my son. And we are in right standing with one another. We are in right standing with one another. And when they get, when they finally meet... When they finally meet, the son says to him, verse 21, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. No longer worthy to be called your son. And what's the father's reaction? Has he fully repented? I don't know. I don't think he's fully repented. I think there's remorse. I think there's regret in what he has done. But I don't think he has fully repented. Or I don't think Jesus would have pushed this back to Pharaoh understand that. But how does a father react anyway? How does he react? What does he say? Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Sandals on his feet. Okay, so I'm thinking, hey, you servants that are with me, you got to go back and get the robe. You got to get all the stuff that you need and come back quickly. I'm going to keep him here. And then we're going to put the robe on him. We're going to put the ring on him. We're going to put new sandals on him. And then he will be, he will, everybody will know that I have accepted him back into the family. And there will not be any shaming because he is my son. And I have clothed him as my son. No matter where his heart is right now, he is still my son and I love him. And I think about our own lives. In times like that son, 
when we have a Father who runs after us. That should just elate all of us and make us so happy that we have a Father who runs after us. Meanwhile, 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 the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Now, let me ask you something. I don't know how with all those servants, them coming back to get the robe and all that, that somebody didn't leak this to the older son, right? I mean, somehow the older son should have known. But who do you think, this is my opinion, who do you think was the first one out there with his jar of corn breaking it? Who do you think it was? I think it was the older son. I think he was out there doing that. And he has blocked his name out of his books. He doesn't want to hear a word about his, his younger brother. He doesn't want to ha- hear a word from anybody about how his younger brother is doing. I have blotted him out of my mind. He is cut off from our family. He's cut off from me. He is cut off. And you can just see him. And that Why would a servant want to go in there and say, hey, I don't think so. I wouldn't be one of those servants that did that. And so the next thing you hear, one of the servants said, so he called one of the servants to ask him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet never, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, do you get that? Why didn't he say when this brother of mine? He didn't say that. He says when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. That fatted calf would feed about 300 to 400 people. There's already a party going on. The community is invited because the son has come back and the older son is out there seething, mad, and upset, ignoring his brother because that's what you do when you shame them. This is an injustice to him. I mean, really, the older brother just feels like this is an injustice. How can my father do this? How can my father show that compassion to the younger son, his brother? Verse 31, my son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. Okay. Let me ask you a question here. This is a story about an older son and a younger son. This is a story about a father, too. Where do you know in the Bible of a story of an older son and a younger son that get into conflict and then separate 
Who is it? Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau. And you see, who is the younger brother in this story? Is it not the tax collectors and the sinners? And who's the older brother in this story? Is it not Esau? Is it not him? Those words, the words that the father just spoke, you are always with me, everywhere, everything I have is yours, but when he welcomed him back, they're the same words, listen, they're the same words the father utters are the same exact words that, the, that Esau utters to his brother. Look at this passage. Look at this passage. It says this, But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Why is this so important? That's exactly what the father did. But why is this so important? Because Jesus is looking at the tax collectors and the sinners, and he's looking at the Pharisees and the teachers, and when he's looking at the Pharisees and the teachers, he said, you're the one that's supposed to be looking out for them. You're the one that should have been looking for your brother. You're the one that should have been doing that. You're the one that should have embraced him. You're the one that should have fell on his neck and welcomed him back. And who are we? We're the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And we have a responsibility to do this. To go after those people that are broken, hurting. Those that are in dire need. Who's relationship isn't right with the Father. And I love how this ends. I love how this ends. In Luke chapter 15, verse 32, before I do that, let me give you a few things. Both sons, both sons were separated from the Father. Both sons were. The younger son was separated from the Father because of his sins, right? Right? And then the older son, because of his self-righteousness, both of them were separated from the father. We don't know how this story ends. We don't know, besides right here, right there, exactly what happened. We know that the father loves both his sons. And we know he runs after those that are lost. And I'm thankful to have a father like that. Because the last verse in this story, is this, verse 32. But we had to celebrate. Don't you just love that? We had to. We had to celebrate. There's nothing else we could have done. Because when someone is lost and they are found, we have to celebrate. Be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So, what type of church will we be? What type of people will we be? Will we, will we be the ones that run? And will, will we be the ones that are always seeking 
always looking for the lost son. Let's stand and sing.